Wow. A hoop and holler. Okay. Well, it's great. It's great to be uh, here with you. Uh, but I, I do kind of want to start uh, just kind of piggybacking on what Olivia said. What goes on over there that you don't see has a eternal impact on people's lives. And, and God is moving through our kids ministry. And every time I go back there and see volunteers and interact with our amazing future world changers, it stirs me up to believe that even in the chaos of what's happening in our world, and can we just all acknowledge it's been a bit of a chaotic week. We got storms coming, bombs going off, things imploding, variants running crazy. And in the middle of it all, God knew what we didn't know. That right now, more than ever, the church needs to understand not just what it sounds like to say the right things. Like we want to see heaven invade our city. We, we want to see God move and do incredible things. But how do we live? How does that actually begin to happen through our lives? That the gospel that changed us becomes the gospel that lives through you and begins to change those who are around you. So I, I, I've actually been traveling all week and I got back yesterday and I was unplugged and it was a wonderful time, but I, I kind of got caught up on everything that had been going on when I was gone. And I was like, wow, wow. And then I started feeling the urgency of heaven that it, it is for such a time as this, we are here on purpose for a purpose. And we're talking about what we're talking about this week on purpose for a purpose because God's desire for your life, for my life, is not just that we would show up here on a Sunday morning, but is that we would be transformed by the living God and then allow that transformation that is happening in us to begin to practically move through us. And so I wanna pray and I want to pray for everything that's going on in Afghanistan, for the storm that's going to be bearing down on Louisiana, and everything else that's happening, and what might feel big in your world. And I want to pray that Jesus gets full view this morning. Because we've got to look at his face. Because it's in his eyes and it's through that gaze that we will know how to navigate through the storms that are only going to be increasing. And I believe that the heart of God is not just that you survive the storm, but that you have an encounter with him that allows you to thrive in it. So will you pray with me? Jesus, we do. We ask right now for every family person, everybody who lost somebody, every death, every tragedy, Lord, the fear, the chaos, everything that's been happening, that your presence would reign supreme in the chaos. God, your peace surpasses understanding. And so Jesus, would you allow us and would you begin to touch our city and this nation and the world with the power of your gospel that you came to redeem humanity from what we deserve so that you could give us a life of freedom and hope that would never end. That even when we die, we just step from this place into eternity with you. God, would we be a people that understand 
understand that it matters that we live to bless those around us. And everybody said, before I jump into the first S, as we've been walking through this bless series, and uh, this is week four, we talked about beginning to pray and listening to stories and encouraging those who are around you. And today we're going to talk about serving them. But before I do, I, I want to take a minute and honor someone who's been serving us for years. And we do this thing around here that we, we, we like to say that it's often duplicated, but it can never be replicated. And it's called the golden hammer. It's a big deal, people. If you're new here, this is a big deal. The Bible says not to covet, but you should covet this. <laughs> Golden hammers are given from time to time to people who not only go to our church, but literally help us build this church. And I moved here a few years ago about two weeks before this dude moved here himself from Florida. And we had a mutual friend, and so we sat down, and this is when our church was an idea, okay? It was a thought. It wasn't a reality. And, and I'm sitting across the table from this guy who is like, the most talented sound engineer I've probably ever talked to. He has all the skill sets. He has the right culture, the great, the perfect heart to serve. And I'm just like, there's no way that this dude is gonna jump in with us. He's gonna go to one of these amazing churches in the city and that's great, but man, what a bummer. We need this guy so bad. And I'm sitting at coffee with him and I'm just, he's like, dude, just share the vision with me. And so I just start sharing with him. And in the back of my head, I'm like, we've got no shot <laughs> you know like there's no way and I'll never forget he looked back to me he's like dude I'm a hundred percent in and from day one literally day one it was me Tyler and Moses setting up at the Norris Convention Center at the Battle of the Churches. That's what we used to call it because multiple churches would meet at the Norris Convention Center. And so it's like, as soon as the announcement would happen and we would say the name of the church, people would get up and be like, oh, I'm in the wrong one. And they would leave and go. <laughs> it was awesome. Let me tell you, God was moving. <laughs> it, was, it was those mornings where you're like, dude, what are we doing? You know what I mean? I'm like... This church planning thing, what, what are we doing? You know, there's a hockey rink behind us. You know, it smells like locker room and ice. And there's like, and he was there from the beginning. And so, man, I wish I had a pure gold hammer for Tyler praying. But Tyler, would you come on up here? Bro, I hammer you, bro. Thank you. Hey, Ty, this is Tyler's last Sunday with us. He's going on tour uh, because he's that good, all right, at what he does. So he's going to be traveling the world literally with bands, uh, making them sound and look amazing. So we love you, bro. We know we're going to see you again, but man, thanks for everything you've done. Bless you, bro. I love that. I love giving out golden hammers, man. Ah, something about a gold spray-painted hammer that just fires you up in the morning, you know what I mean? All right, well, y'all want to jump into what God has for us today? 
So uh, this is, like I said, week four of our blessed series where we're going to be leaning into what does it mean for us to serve them. And if you're new with us today, just really quick uh, to pull you up to speed. We really believe that, just like I said earlier, that you are where you are on purpose, that God has put people around your life, not just randomly, but strategically, and that we are to be heaven bringers. And we're to be seed sowers, that we're just like the parable that Jesus shared where he talks about that the gospel going out is like the farmer that scatters seed. And what we've been leaning into is that we're not just supposed to be those who scatter seeds, but we're also those who prepare soil. That the parable of the sower is not just a picture of the response of the human heart to the gospel, but it's also an invitation for us to be those who believe, pray, and lean in to those who might be resistant to the gospel. You could say in Jesus's words that they're not good soil, that we have the opportunity to be those who till the soil, to work the ground of the hearts of those around us so that when we do sow the seed of the gospel, that it lands in a soft place. And so we have said like, that is a great idea, but what does that look like practically? And so we have this acronym that I stole, but I feel great about it. Because like I said a few weeks ago, I gave up on trying to be original and I'm just kind of obsessed with being effective. So if I find something that's working for me, then man, and God says it'll work for us, then I'm like, dude, let's just freaking take it. You know, like let's not remake it, it already works. And so we have this thing that we say that we want to bless those who are around us. How do we see heaven invade earth? We bless those who are around us. We begin to pray for them. We listen to their story. When we begin to pray for people, two things happen. God moves us and God hears us and he begins to move on behalf of those that we are interceding for. And then we listen to their story that we take time to get to know them, to hear them, because oftentimes we want to see people healed, but with their heart needs to be heard. Then we encourage them because our encouragement is a weapon. It's not just saying something nice. It literally is speaking truth into where there has been a lie of death sown into that person's soul. And so encouragement is not just being like, hey, that's a cool shirt. Encouragement is hearing from the heart of God because you've been praying for that person. You've been listening to their story. And God will begin to speak to you and lead you into what you need to say. And when you say that encouraging word, it has an impact that brings life where there's been death. And today we want to talk about what does it look like for us to serve them, to serve them. You know, I, I don't, I, I've had a, a lot of these. I often joke, I, I had an experience even on this trip that I was on that I'm not going to tell you about today, but it, I literally got back <clears throat> and just know this, I got lost in the mountains. It was terrifying. <laughs> uh, save that story for another day. But the the guys that I was with were like, dude, oh my gosh, that was terrifying. I was like, hey, this is God, dead. God allowed that to happen because this is a fantastic illustration. 
And I kind of feel like my life is filled with these moments where I'm like, this only happened because God is giving me a story to tell. And, and I had one of those days a few years ago where I'm about to leave to take our college, some of our college students to Tijuana, Mexico on a, what we call an impact trip to serve and to minister with our church that we have there called All People's Church. And man, it's an incredible church. And I love Tijuana. I used to live in San Diego. And so I have a real soft spot for that area. And so I was fired up to take this little small group of college students. And we were just going to go, man, and love the people and, and, and serve that place. And that day was going to be kind of a, a, a circus. I was taking Tate with me, and he's one of my sons, and he was about six years old at the time, and he was going to be going with me on this trip. And then, of course, we all wake up that morning. It's fun. We have breakfast. It's all great. People are about to start showing up to our house. Our oldest daughter, Sophie, decides, I'm going to get a stomach bug now and starts throwing up all over the house. And I'm like, okay, this is not terrifying that I'm getting ready to go on a trip, and I'm sure I'm getting ready to start throwing up all over the house. And you know how, like, you want to be empathetic with your child, but at the same time you're like, stay away from me, child. You know, like, I was feeling that kind of tension. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go start the car. People are getting ready to get here. Sophie's in the bathroom throwing up. Liz is there doing the head pat thing. Tate's running around. He's six. He doesn't know, right? He's like, a car, you know? So it's like, we're, we're all good. And so I'm like, I go, and I go to start the van that we had at the time, and it doesn't start. I'm supposed to be the person, our family is supposed to be the drivers that are going to get everybody to Dallas because that's where we were flying out of. We were all living in Waco at the time. And I'm like, we don't have a car. I got a sick kid. I don't have a driver. So I got a couple hours to try to find somebody who will be willing to drive us to Dallas that has a big enough car to take us or to find multiple people to make it happen. So let's just say it was chaos. Now, there was a part of me that's going, heck yeah, dude. The devil's trying to shut us down. You know what I mean? I'm like, bring it on. You know, I mean, that kind of fighter is like, you're not going to stop. You know what I mean? I got a little, you know, I often say like, I grew up in church, but I also grew up in the hood. And so I didn't really learn how to pray, but I did learn how to talk trash. And that's often how I do spiritual warfare. You know, like I've learned how to pray now, but the, the hood, you know, you can take me out of the hood, but you can't get the hood out of me. And so, like, I was, you know, a little bit terrified I was going to get sick, a little bit excited that everything was going wrong. I tell Liz, we get a ride to the airport, and I'm thinking, everything's going to be better, babe. Don't worry about it. Drive my car. I'll handle this when I get back. We go. We have a great trip. Sophie gets better. Everything's great. But then we get back from the trip, and I, I literally pull into the driveway, and it's like I'm reminded, oh, we have a broken car, you know? Now, I'm thinking didn't start, right? Now, I don't know anything about cars, but I do know that batteries are often the culprit of your car not starting. So I was like, look, this will be simple. I'll just jump, you know, I'll jump it. I'll take it to AutoZone, get a new battery. Good, you know? Well, it was dark in the garage. So instead of taking like five minutes to turn the lights on, I was like, I think that this is the positive and this one's the negative. Yeah, this only happens to me, I promise you. I start the car, and with literally seconds, okay, I haven't even gotten out of the car that works yet. The garage is filled with smoke. I look at the cables. 
the, the rubber that is around the cables to keep you safe is dripping off, like melted off. And I've got exposed hot wires literally melting into my cars right now. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do, right? So I'm like, don't touch it. So I get a stick, you know, and I like throw the stick and it like hits the cables off. And as the cables sling, they land on, on my car and melted cable rings. And I li- I'm like, dude, what? You are a moron. Like you, you went from needing a new battery to blowing up both of your cars. So I went from needing to jump one car, drive to AutoZone, get a new battery, to towing two cars to the mechanic shop and then having to explain to be that dude (laughs) who's like, yeah, so I decided, what if I put black on red and red on black? Would it really matter? Come to find out, it did. So now neither of my cars work and they're melted. Super humiliating. And like, two, I, I was so thankful when I ended up selling that car because every time I got my oil changed, the people would ask me who were changing the oil, dude, how did you get all these melted lines? And I would have to retell the story of how I reversed the polarity of the, char- the jumper cables. I am the guy who should read the instructions. And, you know, you're like, there are some things that don't need instructions like Pop-Tarts. That's like jumper cables. They don't really need instructions. It's like red on red, black on black, right? I'm the guy who needs to read the Pop-Tart box. Oh, take it out of the bag, then toast it. But here's, here's what I learned in that moment was that it actually is pretty easy when something is broken for it to go worse. When things are messy, it usually gets messier before it gets cleaner. And this is why we don't spend a lot of time or effort in the lives of the people around us because they're often messy. And you know how I know that? Because I've never met a single person whose life was not messy. My life is messy. I'm sure if you weren't at church and we were having an honest conversation and you're not putting that face on right now, like, no, I'm good. What you talking about? I'm righteous. You would say, yeah, I've got some messy spots in my life as well because we're all fallen, broken, hurting People And we know that if we lean into relationship, it's probably not going to be easy. It's probably going to be messy. And so if you're anything like me, I don't like messy. I prefer easy. But there's no way that we can see heaven invade earth unless we stop looking at what's broken and start getting in the middle of what's broken. I think what the world needs right now is people who are going to live on mission and be ground preparers, great listeners, encouragement givers, and mess engagers. That we need to engage and what's happening around us. If you have a Bible, I want you to jump with me to Luke 10. We're going to start in verse 25. 
And this is a story that is known as the story of the Good Samaritan. And as I've said throughout this entire series, Jesus would often tell these stories, these parables, to give context to the people who were with him about what heaven was really like. What does the kingdom of heaven look like? What is this, this thing of a new heaven and a new earth living through us? What does it look like? What, what does the kingdom of heaven look like now? And so Jesus would tell these stories. And, and the, the religious leaders of the day, oftentimes they had spent their lives reading about the kingdom. But what they were reading was not impacting how they were living. And that's why Jesus was so hard for them because Jesus lived what they read. And they said, oh, wait, what? We're not just supposed to know this. It's supposed to affect us. And so one of these teachers, this young teacher of the law, comes to Jesus and he's trying to get information. Like he's trying to trap him. Are you for real? Like, like, what do you know that I don't know? I've spent my entire life studying this, memorizing this, but I look at your life and I know my life and, and there is a disconnect. We're saying the same things, but man, your life looks really different. And so after this young teacher asked this simple question, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus replied, What's written in the law? How do you read it? I love this because this is like Jesus being like Yoda. You know? Where he's setting him up. You know what I mean? Like, you know the answer. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right answer. So Jesus said, you answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to, listen, he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Him And he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I will turn, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. 
The question this teacher of the law asked Jesus in verse 29, who is my neighbor, is an important one for us to ask ourselves. Because I think that this question of loving God and how do we love God and what does that look like really kind of is going to take shape in your life by how you define who your neighbor is. Who is your neighbor? The way that Jesus answered this question shows us that we are mess engagers. Yeah, we're sowers, we're great listeners, we're prayers, we're encouragers, but we are mess engagers. In this story, there are three people that pass by this man who was beat up, robbed, left for dead, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Two of these would have been seen by this young lawyer as enlightened, as important, as significant. But when Jesus brought up the Samaritan, This would have pressed on everything in this man. This would be like if you're a Democrat and someone tells you a story of a Republican doing something good. You're like, uh-uh. And vice versa. How in the world? No, You know what I'm saying? Because it, we have been programmed to hate what we're not. And this is what's happening in culture right now. You're programmed to hate what you're not. You got to understand, for a Jew, a Samaritan, they had not gotten along in years. They were programmed to hate one another. And they would mess with one another. They would have talk shows and they would throw rocks at each other. And Samaritans would would run and, and, and rob Jews as they passed through their land and they would plant bones in their camps just to mess with their heads. And then Jews would get back at them by setting Samaritan villages on fire. There was resentment. There was division. And Jesus's story of what heaven looks like invading earth is a Samaritan coming and loving someone that he didn't know. I I think it's important that we grab hold of a very simple truth, that when we love our neighbor as ourself, it's not just helping them, it is restoring them. Jesus told this story because from the beginning of time, it's been the heart of God that every tongue, tribe, nation, and people would worship him. In heaven, there will be no division within us. There will be a unified worship and admiration for Jesus in us. And when we serve people, it breaks down the cultural barriers that are dividing us. And it opens up restoration to begin to happen through us. What does heaven look like? It looks like a Samaritan, the enemy, doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Who is our neighbor? 
You know there's power in your compassion. That when you demonstrate compassion to somebody, when you engage in the mess that's happening around you, when you don't just look at it and build an opinion of it, oh, can I talk to some people? Our culture is filled with thousands of voices giving opinions about what is broken and hundreds of people engaging what's broken. We don't need more opinions. We need more action. We need more people crossing over to the other side of the street, grabbing somebody who's been beaten up, robbed, and taking care of them because it's the right thing to do. Who cares what they look like? Who cares what they believe? Who cares if they agree with me or not? I'm here to love my neighbor. Who's your neighbor? People that look like you? People that think like you? People that vote like you? Or is your neighbor the people that God has put around you? Regardless of what they look like, think, vote like, so that heaven can invade their mess. And they don't just leave helped and healed. Restoration begins to happen. There's a man, some of you have known, know this story, is a dude named Daryl Davis. He's a blues musician from Chicago. He finished one night playing this gig, and a young white man walks up to him. He's an African-American guy, and, and, and he said that this, they just had this conversation just talking about music and, and the blues, and their conversation is going so well, talking about you know, all the musicians that they like, and they ended up transitioning from the side of the stage to sitting at a table together, and they ordered drinks, and they're just enjoying one another's company, and randomly this young man looks at Daryl and says, hey, you know what? I've never had a drink with a black man before. Daryl is just confused, like, how in the world? I mean, you're in your 30s. How have you never had a, have you never sat at a table with a black man before? And so he asked him, dude, like, how did that, how does that even happen? He says, because I'm in the Ku Klux Klan. Daryl had two options in that moment. To continue forward in the divisions that culture has laid out or to lean in and love his neighbor. So Daryl built a friendship with this man, served him, loved him, engaged him, got to know him. And after a few years, this young man who was a member of the KKK comes to Daryl's house with his KKK robes in his hands, and he says, I no longer want to be a part of this. Because there's power and compassion. There's restoration when we love our neighbor. Fast forward, fast forward, Daryl has seen, I believe it's 200 members of the KKK. This one man, 200 members of the KKK come to his house, give him their robes and say, I don't want to be a part of this anymore because of our friendship. Loving your neighbor, helping, engaging in the mess doesn't just help, doesn't just heal, it restores. 
it breaks down what has been dividing us so heaven can invade us. There's power in our compassion. We talk about living on mission. What we're really saying is that we're mess engagers. We engage in the messy. We're not just cultural complainers. We engage with the mess. You know, the other thing that the story of the Good Samaritan shows us is that when the kingdom of heaven invades earth, it has nothing to do with who you are, where you came from, and everything to do with how you live. Jesus strategically uses three distinct groups of people, a priest, a pastor, spends his life in the word, reading the Bible, communicating truth, trying to unpack what heaven is like. He has built his whole life, how he eats, how he lives, where he lives, everything around doing everything he can in his own power to honor God. Then you have a Levite who were basically the royal family in the priesthood. They, they, were, the, they were the absolute picture of these guys have it all together. They know all the answers. They came from the right family. They got it all given to them. And then you have a Samaritan. And this guy's eyes would have been filled with disdain, mistrust, powerful when you begin to understand that Jesus is saying, hey, it doesn't matter where you came from, who your family is. Heaven invading earth has everything to do with you just loving your neighbor regardless of where you came from. You know, I also think that God wants us to know that the good Samaritan helped one person. He didn't help every person. I think you can get overwhelmed when you think about this and you go, there's so much hurt and mess around me. What am I supposed to do? I'm not even, I I got my own mess. You're trying to keep your head afloat of your own stuff that's going on in your life. And then you think like, I'm supposed to engage in somebody else's mess. Like, should I even engage in their mess? Have you seen my mess? And I think it's important that we understand that that Jesus had one guy help one guy. The reason I say that is because he didn't just walk around throwing money at the dude. He engaged with that man's life. He went back to him. He got to know him. He took care of him. We don't check the box of loving our neighbor by throwing some change at the homeless guy at the stoplight. That's being helpful, but that's not loving your neighbor. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Another phrase that I stole and I feel great about. It's do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one 
what you wish you could do for everyone. I've got my one. Whenever they call, I'm there. Whatever they need, I'm there. I, I, I will stop everything because I want to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. And here's the thing. We have to do something. You can't do nothing because to love God is to love him with everything that you have and to love your neighbor. And you can get overwhelmed at all of your neighbors and all the people you work with and all of the challenges that are going on in their lives and you're overwhelmed. It's not about trying to fix people. It's about serving one. If Jesus can change the world with 12 guys, I don't think it's about quantity. I think it's about quality. And I think this is where our culture has gotten it wrong. We celebrate big and we look down upon small. Impact happens in small. It happens in living rooms. It happens in tables. It's that you engaging in someone's life, getting past hello and into their pain and being with them and serving them and being available to them. And when we do that, it doesn't just help them. It also brings healing to them and it restores them. And then that one begins to impact one because transform people, transform families and transform families, transform neighborhoods. And transform neighborhoods, transform cities. And transform cities that are going to change our nation. And a changed nation will change the world. But it starts with doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Not just talking a big gospel like the priests and the Levites, but living a gospel like the Samaritan. Crossing over to the other side of the street. Seeing someone who's beat up and broken and messy and you don't know how they got there, if it was their fault, and saying, you know what, you're hurting, and I'm going to do for you what I wish I could do for everyone, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to bring you into my family, and I'm going to provide for you emotionally and physically, and I'm going to share Jesus with you, and I'm going to walk the long road with you. Even if I don't get to stand up a testimony night and give a testimony of your salvation, I'm not in it so that I can tell a story. I'm in it because I'm here to see heaven invade earth. Are you hearing me? Like sometimes we get discouraged because you're like, oh my gosh, dude, so-and-so led another person to the Lord. Remember? Who cares? Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. The story is a long story. It's not a short story. We live in a microwave culture. We want to see stuff right now, do it now, explode now, big things now, do it now. And the gospel is not a microwave thing. Every picture of the gospel getting in people's lives is a freaking seed going into dirt. You ever watch something grow? Dude, it's brutal. You don't see anything for months. Then you got one little green leaf that pops through the dirt and you're like, yo, I'm a gardener. But that's just the beginning of the fight. Because then everything else starts to grow up too. And now we don't just have what we planted. We have the seeds that we didn't even know were up in the dirt. And they're growing too. And now we're in the parable of the sower again. And so we got to be not just seed sower. We got to be ground preparers. 
We got to get in there and be like, no, that weed of worry. No, no, no. Let me tell you about the peace of Jesus. Hey, that, oh, that, that little, that weed of, of sexual immorality. No, that's going to choke out the gospel that's in you. Let me tell you about the freedom of Jesus. We don't just throw a seed and be like, cool, good luck. He says, love your neighbor. And then defines loving your neighbor as getting messy, getting in the mess. So yeah, we're seed sowers. We're ground prepares. We begin to pray for people. We, we listen to their stories. We encourage them. We speak life into the death that is in them. And then we serve them. We get in their world. We love them. 